So 2 Thessalonians first, uh, verse 1 says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of, of you all toward each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when he, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that wraps up the first chapter of, of Second Thessalonians. So again, Paul here, he begins his letter, of course, uh, writing, uh, writing to the church at Thessalonica, but he, uh, he begins his letter saying, hey, it's me, brother Paul, it's me, brother Silvanus, and it's me, brother Timotheus, or Timothy as we call him uh, commonly. He says, it's us, you all know us, you all believed us when we came there and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's commending them on a report that he's gotten from this church. He's commending them on the love that they have for one another commending them that their faith is continuing to grow but Paul obviously had also gotten some news that the church at Thessalonica had come under persecution and this church uh, I'm not sure what the persecution was exactly but uh, nevertheless it had come under persecution uh, from outside sources but he's saying you all stand strong uh, you all stand just as you are right now your faith has continued to grow even since we've left you there at Thessalonica you stand strong on the word stand strong on your faith let it continue to grow let it continue to lead you let God continue to make the cause in your life Paul is, uh, is writing this letter encouraging them to do these things but Paul is also addressing some things here he says uh, it's kind of a funny verse to read he says uh, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulation that ye endure which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. In short, Paul here is saying, yes you're going through some persecution right now. Yes you're going through some suffering right now. And he calls it a manifest token of the righteousness of Almighty God. Folks, that tell 
persecution and the suffering that the church at Thessalonica was going through was sent directly by God. It was allowed by God to come into that church to do what? Not to punish them. They were believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too many times we as Christians, we have problems come into our lives. Death comes. Sickness comes. Financial problems come. All these things come in our lives and we see these as punishment from Almighty God. But the Bible plainly says here at the end of this chapter that these things come in your life that you can bring glory to God. So when these things come in, don't think that it's punishment. And sometimes we need to get off that little rail that we ride sometimes saying, boy, the devil's working overtime. Sometimes it ain't the devil, folks. Sometimes it's Almighty God allowing you. The Bible plainly says it was a it was a token, a manifest token of God's righteousness that this persecution came on a group of believers in the city of Thessalonica. Folks, he may have allowed Satan to do some things. He may have allowed Satan to send persecutors into the church. He may have allowed some things to happen. He may have allowed Satan to cause suffrage upon his people. But all in all, when it's all boiled down, it came directly from God. And it was to do nothing more than to bring glory unto God. Too many times Christians will say, I beat this, I snapped this, I did this, and I did that. And they don't give glory to God. Shame on us for having that attitude. God lets these things come into our lives to bring Him glory, to, to bring Jesus Christ glory, bring the name, that name that's above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, to bring that name glory, not glory unto ourselves. Folks, when you look in the Old Testament at the old man, or at the man of old, Job, hey, God let some things come in his life. God let some things happen to him. The man lost every bit of livestock that he had. He lost his family, lost his children. I'm persuaded that he lost his wife, even though the scripture doesn't say so. He lost everything. But this man was still able to say, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost everything that he had. Satan People say God and Satan were playing ping pong with Job. I don't buy that for a second. Why did God allow these things to happen? To bring glory unto God. He didn't hate Job. He didn't have any problems with Job. Now listen, he had to straighten Job out later on in the book. Job had some self-righteousness about him. He did. You read it over on over in the book. Now listen, he held on to his integrity. And he and he had every right to do so. He's, and when his buddies came, when they came, they said, if you'll just repent of this sin, God will lift up these problems off of you. If you'll repent of your wrong, God will make this good with you. And Job kept a hold of his integrity, saying, I haven't committed any sin. I've done nothing against God. I have not done anything to deserve this. And folks, in all in all, according to the scripture, Job had not. But God wanted glory brought down to his own name. That's why he allowed these things to happen. And that's the only reason. Folks, maybe them hard, bad, hard times come in your life because God wants glory brought to them. God, and I ain't saying that you don't give God glory. 
I'm just saying God will get glory from where God will get glory. And you and I, being the, being the little weasel human beings that we are, have no right to question God's motives, have no God right to question God's actions. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is righteous. He can do with us what He pleases. And we have no right to question it. We can't question it. Folks, <coughs> Job, I'm sure some things are running through his mind. I'm positive. Oh, the man of old. Could you imagine? He's doing everything right. You read, you read in Job chapter 1. He even offered up sacrifices for his children. Saying, they may have sinned. I'm going to offer up sacrifices on their behalf. He was doing a priestly duty before priests were ever even brought up. Folks, Job is the oldest penned book in the scripture. I ain't saying that Job happened before the book of Genesis or Exodus. I'm saying that it was penned down before Genesis and Exodus were. So Job would have had no clue about what the law was, what the priestly law was, yet he was acting as a priest on behalf of his family saying, I'm going to make an offering for my sons, for my daughters, for they may have sinned. Job was doing all these things, doing everything exactly as he thought that he should. And yet, he lost everything that he had. He had the boils come up on him, had the sores come up from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, the Bible says. And yet, he still, he still did not accuse God. He didn't wrongfully wrongfully say anything against God. His wife even encouraged him. His wife invited him to say, curse God and die. And he said, you speak as a foolish woman. He kept his integrity. Folks, we have got to keep our integrity when these things come. Sometimes, sometimes that suffering happens simply because God wants glory, folks. And if God wants glory, hey, by all means, give it to him. If you're a born-again child of God, we should be giving it to him. You deserve hell just like I do. And if I ain't going to hell, God deserves glory for it. Amen. Everybody sitting within these walls deserves hell. Every one of us, we ain't nothing but little walking, talking vessels of sin. That's all we are, and the Bible backs that up. The only thing that makes a difference between us and the lost people out there in the world is a man named Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed. That's the only difference between me and them. That's the only difference between lost and saved. That's the only difference between hell bound and heaven bound is the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Nothing that I have done. Nothing that I could do. It's everything that Christ done on the cross at Calvary. I need to quit meriting myself for the work that he's done. I'll get to heaven by works, all right, by the works of Jesus. And that's the only way I'll get to heaven, is by his works. But Paul here, back to the second Thessalonians, <coughs> Paul here saying that this suffering was a manifest token of the righteousness of God. He goes on to say, seeing that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. What do we want to do as human beings? Somebody kicks our cat. We want to hop the fence, go over and kick their dog. Mm -hmm. Don't we? Yeah. 
Don't we? That's what we want to do as human beings. Hey, I'm as guilty of it as y'all are. If you tell me you ain't guilty of it, I'll call you a liar to your face. That's, the, that's our natural reaction is to take vengeance out on our neighbors, to take vengeance out on our children or on our parents or whatever the case is. If someone comes against us, it is our natural reaction to want to take vengeance out upon them. When the Bible plainly says in more than one occasion, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will recompense. I will repay. Not you will repay, Spencer. Not you will repay, other churchgoer or other saved individual. I will repay. I will recompense. That's what Paul here is telling these Thessalonians. He's saying, no, you keep in your Christian walk. You keep that faith. You, you keep it with the knowing uh, that God Almighty is going to have His vengeance on those which are persecuting you one of these days. Now folks, I ain't saying that if someone comes to your house with a gasoline can in hand and a book of matches in the other and kicks in your door that you're to stand there and let them burn down your house. But you take, you take the, you have righteous indignation against that person. You have a biblical authority to protect what's yours, protect your family and protect these things. But there ain't no sense in cussing them. Uh, ain't no sense in doing some of these other ungodly things. Folks, <clears throat> that's what Paul was encouraging the Thessalonians to do. Keep your faith. Vengeance is coming. Folks, it's a vengeance like no one knows. It's a vengeance like I can't even comprehend. And it's right here in the scriptures. Not only here in 2 Thessalonians, but the Bible talks about the vengeance of God. It talks about the wrath of God and the fury of God. This is the God that I said in the introduction to this whole thing. This is the God. This is the Jesus that no one wants to hear about. Everybody loves the Jesus in the manger. Everybody loves the Jesus that went around preaching love and preaching repentance and preaching these wonderful things. And everyone loves the Jesus that died and was buried and was resurrected the third day and everyone wants him to be their mediator but no one likes to think of him as the one that said behold I come quickly and my reward is with me to give unto every man according to his words no one wants to talk about that Jesus but it's the same Jesus that died for me and he is coming back he is coming back he said, <clears throat> he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And hold the keys of hell and of death. That's my Jesus that we're talking about. That was Jesus that spoke those words to John in his vision on the island of Patmos. That's my Jesus that's coming back as king. My Jesus that's coming back as judge. And when he comes back as judge, it will not be a pretty sight for those that do not know him. Amen. But it's happening. It will happen one of these days. And there's going to be a world full of people that for some reason is caught by surprise. And they've had this word the whole time. They've had preaching the whole time. They've had Sunday schools the whole time. They've had Bible schools the whole time. And yet these are they which, which are going to go on off into perdition. They're going to go on off into perdition. Seeing as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. 
Folks, it's a righteous token that God allows suffering to come our way. It's just as righteous of a thing for God to punish those that do not accept Jesus Christ as Savior. It is just as righteous of a thing for God to cast those souls into hell because they haven't believed the report. They haven't believed what they've heard. They haven't believed the scriptures. It is just as righteous for God to punish them as it is for God, as it is for God to send uh, 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 seeming punishment or, or suffering our own ways. Either way is from a holy and a righteous and a just God. So, and when you are troubled, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's two different groups of people here. Both of them being punished by God. Both of them being punished by God. It's a, it's, now listen, it says in verse 7 again, The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if they know not God, they can't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've got two different groups of people here. We've got those that know not God. You want to know about the ones that know not God? Turn to Romans chapter 1 and read it sometime. That's the ones that, that Paul is addressing here. These are the ones that don't know God out of ignorance. These are the ones that, that don't know God because they were never taught about God. These are the ones that, that never heard the scriptures. But folks, according to my Bible and according to a holy and righteous God, they are without excuse. Why is that? Because nature screams of creation. Nature testifies that it was created and it didn't just come to be by some big bang, by something that you can't see with the naked eye out there in the universe somewhere. Nature screams that this thing was a design. And if it was designed and it was there had to have been a designer therefore the entire world whether they've heard the gospel or not they are without excuse mm -hmm. that's the ones that know not God that Paul's talking about here like I said you read the first chapter of Romans sometime and that'll open your eyes just a little bit more the second one it said and they that obey not the gospel that's the ones that have heard the gospel but they've chosen not to obey it what is the gospel? If you read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's the death, the birth, the, the, the death, the, uh, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. But, folks, it goes so much more than that. It's the entire life leading up to, that death of, to the death of that man Jesus. And it's his entire life that he's living right now at God's right hand, making intercession. And folks, that, that's the gospel right there. The gospel fits between Genesis and Revelation. It's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Folks, the gospel stretches so much further than that there does. But these are the people that obey not the gospel. This second group that Paul is referring to here. And he says that Jesus is going to appear and his mighty angels with him. And they're going to come in a fire. And they're going to pronounce vengeance on these people. Those that are ignorant of God and do not know God and those that obey not the gospel. Folks, the scariest thought in all of this, this is the same Jesus that came here and preached love. This is the same Jesus that preached forgiveness. This is the same Jesus that died for the forgiveness of your sin and everyone that these angels will be casting into hell. 
and he is the one coming as judge. Yeah. The second scariest thought in all this is the angels. We think of the angels, we think of naturally love. We think of those that God sends to camp all about us and protect us. We think of guardian angels. We think of we, we think of all these things. I think of the cherubim. I think I think of all kinds of things when I think of angels. We but we think of these wonderful things, folks. I think of the angels that celebrate over one sinner coming to repentance. I think of those kind of angels when I think of angels. Folks, these are the same angels that we're reading about here. Hey Jesus, when he comes back, he will not be preaching penitence. He will not preach and be preaching preaching forgiveness he will be coming back as judge for those that did not accept the repenting way of the gospel he'll come back as judge for those that did not accept him or his blood or the gospel he will come back for those that did not accept the will of the father and these angels will be coming back with him and they're going to be in a fire according to what I read in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 right here and they're going to be uh, seeking to bring vengeance mm. on those that know not God and those that obey not the gospel. Same Jesus, same angels. Folks, <coughs> Peter, in 2 Peter, Peter says that God didn't have mercy on the angels that sinned. And he cast them into hell. Mm. And he did. There was a big rebellion. That's where Lucifer came from. He was, the, he was pretty much the head, the head honcho of the angels. Oh, yeah. And he was cast out of heaven. Him and about a third of the angels yeah. were all cast down. That's why we have demons right now. That's why demons roam this world. It's because of that happening. You want to read about that? Read Romans chapter, or Revelation chapter 12. You can also read some in Ezekiel and then Isaiah as well about the casting out of Lucifer. But, but. That's why we have demons. But the Bible says, Second Peter, says that if God didn't have mercy on those angels, and he cast them out of hell. And he says, and in the days of Noah, if he flooded the entire world, save eight people, and it goes on to say, it says, and Sodom and Gomorrah, it says Sodom and Gomorrah, they were, they were left as nothing but ashes. God rained fire and brimstone down on those cities, folks. That was judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. That was punishment for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why was that? It's because they knew not God and they did not obey the law. It's because they were going against everything that nature screamed that they were supposed to go for. God crushed those cities, burned those cities with fire and brimstone. Stone, but the Bible says that Lot, hey, Abraham's nephew Lot, he was within those cities. He sat at the gate making judgment going into Sodom. And it said that he saved righteous Lot. Right. Righteous Lot. Mm -hmm. Not sinful Lot. Yep. Not evil Lot. Whether you like it or not, the Bible says Lot was righteous. I know when him and Abraham were deciding on which way to go because their herdsmen couldn't get along. Right. I know they were trying to decide where to go. Mm -hmm. And Lot chose those well-watered plains. Mm -hmm. And I would have too, and you would have as well. Because yeah. that's what looked better. Lot chose that. Abraham chose to go the rougher way. Oh, yeah. He said, I'll let Lot go do what he's going to. Lot went into those cities. Lot became judge of that city. He sat at the gate. That's what the judges did. They sat at the gate and they determined the rights and the wrongs of the business that took place in those cities. But the Bible says that the people in those cities, it says their conversation, meaning their life that they lived, their conversation vexed Lot's righteous soul. It means that they, that they were, they were 
were persecuting Lot with the lifestyle they lived in front of Lot. Hey folks, this ain't just for the people at the end of the time. This ain't just for people at the end of the age. Hey, we're persecuted every day. We're persecuted with the sin that takes place out in the world. We're persecuted with magazines. We're persecuted with what we see on the internet. We're persecuted with what we hear in the classrooms. We are persecuted, but God will have vengeance on his on those that come against his elect. He will have vengeance on those that do not know him and those that do not obey the gospel. And that's what I'm depending on. Not me. In the meantime, I go out and I spread the gospel. In the meantime, I'm a seed sower. In the meantime, I'm telling people, hey, you're living a sinful lifestyle. That's great. I did one time too. But there's a man can bring you out of that. There's a man named Jesus Christ can forgive you of every every ounce of sin that you've ever committed uh, up to this point. He can forgive you of every sin that you're going to commit in the future. My Jesus does that. My Jesus died so that he could do that. And he'll sit at the Father's right hand, bless God. And he'll make intercession for me. The Bible says that if we be saved through his death, I'm much more shall we stay saved by his life that he lives now at the Father's right hand. I'll, I'll stay saved because of my Jesus. Because yeah. he's the mediator. He's the intercessor. But folks, <coughs> all I can do is, print, uh, is preach the gospel. All you can do is preach or present the gospel. We can herald the message. Mm-hmm. We can herald the message. It broke my heart to hear a young kid over here <coughs> say what they were teaching in schools. Ain't no different when I was in school. Yeah. Ain't no different. It's just more frequent. It's more consistent now. You know why? Because the church has sat back and let it happen. Mm-hmm. The church has sat back and kept its mouth shut. That's why it's more frequent. That's why it's more consistent. That's why they say creation's a bunch of baloney. No, the world was formed 800 billion trillion years ago by some bang, by something that came from nothing. The only person that can do that is Almighty God. But it broke my heart. You know what breaks my heart most about it? We got kids. They go to Sunday school for, and I ain't talking here, I'm talking churches all over. We got kids that go to Sunday school for 20, 30, 40 minutes, one time a week. And they sit in the classrooms. And they color a picture of Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. Or they color a picture of Daniel and the lion's den. And the church thinks that that's going to combat the puke that they are learning in the classrooms out here in the world. The church thinks that they're going to learn something from coloring a picture that's going to combat evolution. That's going to combat that it's okay to be a transgender. It's going to combat it's okay to be a homosexual. It's going to combat, hey, drugs are fine. Drugs are fine all over the state of Oregon now, folks. If you think it's going to stay over there, you wait and see. It's making its way east to where we're at right now. It's making its way here. Both those things are not okay. Fornication is not okay. Whoremongering is not okay. Prostitution is not okay. None of these things are okay. But these kids are going to classrooms that are saying differently and we think that them coming in and making a cross out of popsicle sticks is going to make a difference. Shame on us. Shame on me. Shame on every one of us. Because it won't. They need to be taught what the Bible says. They've got to be taught what the Bible says if we are to combat that. And we as a church, me included, 
are failing to do that. We are failing to do that. And where is that going to put them? It's going to put them in that group, those that obey not the gospel. Because they've heard about God. They've heard about God. It's going to put them in the group of they that obey not the gospel. And God help me if I stand before him one day. And I've got the blood of some child some child on my hands when I stand at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. God help me if that's the case that I did not go out of my way to tell that child about Jesus Christ. That I didn't tell them about forgiveness of sin. That I didn't tell them that God was all sovereign creator of this universe. Hey folks, you read over you read in the New Testament when Paul was addressing a mainly Jewish audience, he always went back to the law to begin his sermon. He always went back to the beginning of the law to present that because his audience was mainly Jewish but when he was addressing Gentiles he always, always, always went back to creation because the Gentiles knew nothing about the law but they lived in a world that God had created so he always went back to creation and he started telling them about creation and he started telling them in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and the spirit of God he went across the face of the deep hey God Paul went went through all these things with the Gentiles because they didn't know what the law was folks there was a time in my life when I didn't believe in God but I knew the Bible better than most Christians that I knew I could quote more scripture I could tell them where, where something was in the Bible not even believing in God and I knew more Bible, and I, and I made fun of a lot of them for that, for that too. Made fun of a lot of them because me, as an atheist, knew more about what they called the Holy Scriptures than what they knew, than these professing Christians knew. Folks, I ain't saying that bragging on me. I'm ashamed of what I did now. I wasn't ashamed then, but I'm ashamed now because Christ brought it to my attention that I was wrong and all that. And praise God that he did. But folks, I was one of them that knew the gospel. I was one of those that had heard the gospel. I was raised in church. I was raised in Sunday school. I went to every Bible school and my mama could get me through the doors full. And yet, when I was a teenager, I decided that there was no God. But praise God, one day he came after me. He came to where I was, came to where I was in the middle of my sin, in the middle of my filth, in my blackness. He reached down, picked me up, set my feet on solid ground, and established my going. That's my God that did that. Nothing to do with me because I certainly wasn't looking for it. It takes God to do that. Folks, we've got to teach our children what the Bible says. What does say the Word of God? That way... (coughs) When they go out here and they hear this vomit come out of the classrooms. And that's all it is. I'll say it over and over. It is vomit that comes out of their ba- out of their bathrooms, out of their classrooms in these schools. When they hear that, they'll have something with some substance. They'll have something with some meaning in their mind and in their heart. And they can combat it with that. But not if we don't teach them. What did God tell the Israelites over in the Old Testament? He said, you tie it to your arms. You wear it as frontlets between your eyes. He was talking about the law that he had given his chosen people. He didn't give it to the Ammonites. didn't give it to the pagans or the heathens. He gave it to his people. Amen. If his people aren't using it... We're the ones that are guilty. Yeah. <clears throat> who shall be punished with everlasting destruction for the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power? Who shall be punished with what kind of destruction? 
everlasting. That blows a hole in what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. That's another thing we've got to combat, folks, is false doctrine that's floating around everywhere. Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, the grave is hell. The grave is hell, and that's where it ends. And different sects of Jehovah's Witnesses have different beliefs on that. Just like different sects of Mormons believe that we go to hell for X amount of years, X amount of days, and then poof, we're gone. No more burning. My Bible says that they are thrust from the presence of the Lord into everlasting destruction. Now, folks, that destruction doesn't mean that one day or another, it could be a year from now, a thousand years, a million years from now, that I will be completely destroyed. No, it means I will spend eternity being destroyed, but I will never be completely destroyed. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them immortal. They were created in his own image, were they not? God is the beginning, God is the end, God is Alpha, God is Omega, God is the first and the last. He is immortal. The Bible calls him the Ancient of Days. He is immortal. If Adam and Eve were created in his image, they were immortal. You are not a human being that has a soul. You're a soul that has a human body. Your soul is eternal, and it will spend eternity somewhere, either being destroyed for all eternity or you'll spend it in heaven, glorifying Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. Not on my own merit. I'm going to heaven by the merit of Jesus Christ. And nothing other than that. I'm going to heaven. But there are those that are going to be destroyed forever. Don't you let anybody tell you that hell only lasts for a little while. Don't you let anybody tell you that you'll, you'll burn for how many years you lived here on this earth and then poof, you're gone. Hey folks, that ain't a bit of Bible. That ain't a verse. That ain't a bit of scripture that backs that up. The Bible says everlasting. The Bible calls it everlasting torment. It calls it outer darkness. It calls it a bottomless pit. It calls it all kinds of things. But either way, it is an eternal punishment and it is eternally being separated from God. That means every minute that goes by, every quarter hour that goes by, every hour and every day that goes by, you're being pushed further and further away from God. Why is that? Because you chose the path that you did. Because you chose the path of unrighteousness. You chose the path of wickedness. You were in that group. You were part of that group that obeyed not the gospel. That obeyed not the gospel. And it is everlasting destruction. Who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. David said in the song, I'm about to close. If I ascend into the heavens, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. God is in hell. Oh, yeah. In all of his fury, all of his wrath, all of his judgment. One day, hell is going to be filled. In fact, the Bible says she enlarges her borders. Talking about hell, why would she enlarge her borders if there wasn't more people right. going to be making their way in there? Folks, the Bible also gives dimensions for heaven. Mm-hmm. It's four square. I sung about it just a little while ago. Yeah. That city that's built four square. I don't see anywhere where heaven expands. Nope. I see nowhere where that, where that kingdom's going to expand. But hell enlarges her borders. Hell open our eyes. The Bible says it's the way into a life everlasting. It is a straight and narrow way. And it's a narrow gate that gets there. And it talks about the broad path and the wide gate. That's what leads to destruction. Why is that? Because there's more people on that broad path. And there's more people to pass through that wide gate. Why is that? Because it's easier. 
It's easier to tread, tread that path. Jesus said, if any man is going to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That cross gets hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. But when suffering comes your way, Christian, when persecution comes your way, believer, think of it as a cross. Mm -hmm. Think of it as a cross that God has given you. I preached on it and taught on it both here. Your cross will be different than mine. And my cross will be different from yours. I might have to suffer sickness. You might have to suffer a death in your family. And it might go vice versa. But your cross is going to be different than mine. And that's a daily changing cross that we bear. But either way, take up your cross that God puts on you and follow him. Don't put one on yourself. Don't go out and find one. Folks, you're going to have loads to carry for Jesus. You're going to have loads to carry for your faith. And you're going to have loads to carry to glorify God. Don't put any more on yourself self then God's already got planned for you. Christians are awful for that. Amen. That's why Christians get burned out on church service. Yeah. They get burned out on Sunday school. They get burned out on teaching, and bake sales, and singings. They get burned out. Why? Because they think they're doing it all for God. And one day they wake up and they say, God, I don't know why I feel this way. I've done this for you. I've done that for you. I've taught Sunday school. I've done the past 50 Bible schools at the church. I've been the director of them. I've directed all the Christmas plays. I've done it. And God looks down and says, no, I never asked you to do that. I never put that on you. You put that on yourself. We can't blame God when that's the case. We can't blame God. But when God puts a cross on us, we need to bear it. And we need to bear it gratefully. Because, folks... According to what we just read in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, that glorifies God. And it is something that he does to bring him glory and to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. 